Welcome to Built by a Boss. I'm your host, Evelyn Brooks, journalist, award-winning producer, author, founder of the Evelyn Brooks Company, and In My Solitude, LA. On this podcast, you'll hear unique origin stories, growth strategies, and meaningful insights from successful female founders, visionaries, and entrepreneurs who are creating groundbreaking businesses and careers with intention. This episode is brought to you by Audible. If you love listening to podcasts, you will certainly enjoy the audiobook of my guest today, Dr. Ayana Howard. She's an international expert in robotics and AI. Her new book is called Sex, Race, and Robots, How to Be Human in the Age of AI. This book answers a lot of our most pressing questions like, are we truly being watched 24-7? Why does facial recognition technology misidentify people of color? And is there a reason why Alexa and Siri are voiced by women who never seem to understand what we are saying? And most importantly, how close are we to the singularity? The moment when artificial intelligence takes over and humans are no longer in charge. Dr. Ayanna Howard is a national treasure and a living example of how women can excel in STEM when given the opportunity. Enjoy. First of all, I have to tell you that I loved your book. I really, really did. Uh, It was so eye-opening and just really gave you just a different way of looking at the world and technology that I have noticed, but now I see things so much differently. So first of all, I had to just tell you that. So excited that you are a woman of color who wrote this book. Um, And then your journey is just really fascinating too. I thought of it um, as, it's kind of like your journey began with a Commodore 64 and a chance (laughs) encounter with a rover while roaming the halls of NASA. I mean, come on. <laughs> I know you're like, you couldn't, you couldn't have written it better. Right? Oh, um, such a great, such a great story. So um, tell us the significance of those two plot points in your life. Well, so the, the Commodore 64, um, it, you know, for, for those of you who even know what that is, um, was one of the very first early, early personal computers. Um, And honestly, because it wasn't, you know, people weren't making money off of it, you know, it wasn't like a big thing, um, you can kind of explore. And so I had um, received a Commodore 64 from my dad, um, and he basically was like, here's a book, learn how to program, figure it out, (laughs) right? Right? And so it was like, okay, Um, and and you can make mistakes because no one knew anything, right? Like everyone was like lost. Um, But I just, I just, I liked it. I liked puzzles. I liked science fiction. And it was just amazing to me. Um, And in fact, one of my very first early um, games, which was, okay, we'll call it a game now. Then it really wasn't. But um, it was, I had created this like artificial creature and you literally had to like capture it and and win. Um, And I was fascinated because I created this game and I could never beat it. I was like, wait, hold it. Now, how is that? Like, I'm making it and it's beating me. Like, that's not even right. 
but it just fascinated me like from the beginning. And, and then when I saw, you know, real robots, you know, you, you see it in the movies, right? And you're like, oh yeah, that's fake. And it was like, oh yeah, that's fake. And then you walk in, you're like, oh, oh mm, people don't know. Like there's some stuff here. Uh, this is real. Like that science fiction, there's science behind it. Um, and so it, it just, it just lined up. Fascinating. And so I think the thing that's really important to kind of talk about is uh, we, we all have a fascination with AI, but we don't really understand what it is. So we're all kind of scared to death, but then we use it every day. Can you give us a working definition of AI and just help us put it into context with our daily lives? Yeah, so artificial intelligence, embodied intelligent agents, even robotics is this kind of used simultaneously in, in the same form. Um, really, it is, um, and it's algorithms, but it's software algorithms that have collected data about our habits, about what we do in our daily lives, and has encoded it into software so that it understands us in, in many ways. And so it's automation of activities. Um, and so what it means is that uh, something as simple as, you know, I use a smartphone. Um, one of the nice things I like about it is that it will um, compensate in terms of my voice. If I'm in the car, right, like you can hear me just as easy as if I'm inside the building without me having to actually cut up the volume. How is that possible? Well, because it understands things like, you know, I hear background noise. I'm going to automatically calibrate based on you and your personalization and what I know about you. Um, so it, it really understands us in eerie ways. So what are the ways in which it shows up in our lives that we're not really thinking, oh, that's, that's AI? Like, what are some examples of that? Yeah, so you run into uh, AI every day. Um, as an example, if you think about uh, driving, most of us don't use physical maps. Like, you know, we used to back in the day. Now you don't do physical. I need to go somewhere. What do you do? You, you open up your, your map app whether it's, you know, Waze or, or Google Maps, um, put in your thing and, and you go and you follow the directions. So that all is artificial intelligence, right? There's intelligence behind what's the best directions, the best route for you to get from A to B, um, understanding traffic patterns and having information like with Waze of uh, what's going on with those place or, or, or construction. That's artificial intelligence. Um, you get into your building. Maybe you have um, uh, uh, you have to put in your pass, or maybe you have to swipe. Um, there's some recognition there. Like, how does it know that it is you that's coming into this building? Um, you go up, and you know you want to call your loved one from your smartphone, and you look at it, and it automatically opens because it guess what recognizes your face. Where do you think that is? That's artificial intelligence. Um, and so all of these things that we use, and we don't even think about it because it's part of our gadgets is based on AI, based on data. Right. And so one of the, the, the focuses of your book is the idea of data and bias and what happens to that data and how it will impact our life. And I just found that really fascinating because it's kind of like you don't always think about the people that are behind the data, the people that are programming the data. So help us understand. So the title of your book really speaks to um, 
how that shows up for us in life. So can, can you explain how bias kind of impacts AI, even though it's designed to really benefit our life? Yeah. So, you know, I am a proponent. I, I think AI has positive benefits, but we, we really need to make sure we control it a little better because it's, it's not going to. Um, so as an example, if you think about biases and it comes from the developers, um, I may choose to design my dating app, something fairly simple, right? Maybe I choose to design my dating app and I'm collecting data to find the perfect match, which is AI. And I choose as a developer to have two gender identities, male and female. That's a choice, right? It has nothing to do with the data coming in. It's the developers that decide that I'm only going to classify the whole world into two categories. Well, then that impacts me using a dating app. I mean, something so simple, uh, but then maybe you never find your perfect love. Maybe you're excluded from using the app. Maybe, 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 maybe. And so that's uh, one very simple example. What really bothers me is when you have these systems being deployed for things related to our civil liberties, um, getting a loan, as an example, our credit card rates, or you know, deciding who gets to go to school or get admitted to a school. Um, these biases are coming up because they're based on data. They're based on a choice of selection and, and developers' biases. Um, and then it becomes truth. And so if I'm a loan officer, the system tells me that this person should not get a loan and this person should. And I'm going like, hey, it's smart. It should know. And I then act on it, even though we know historically, you know, women have been given less credit. Uh, historically, women have been paid less, right? Like these are historical biases that are part of the data set that then become truth for the human decision maker. So how does a programmer, though, program their bias into AI? Because they are selecting what type of data is being fed into it. They are selecting the parameters within, and they are selecting the outcome of, you know, what's important to look at. Um, as an example, I, I'll give you one that deals with medical diagnosis. Um, so we know, in fact, there was a, um, a research that showed that um, in a lot of hospitals that use a certain AI algorithm, they were um, basically not referring Black patients to uh, follow and care at the same rate as, as other patients, white patients. Um, and you looked at the parameters that they were selecting. Um, the parameters were selected based on, for example, um, how much pain the patients were in, right? So that was a choice that a developer made. Okay, we're gonna use pain as a choice. Um, and they selected all the parameters that would feed into the system. So that's a developer bias. Um, and what they found out, uh, just, uh, just in terms of the medical literature, um, maybe people don't know, but it's thought that uh, Black women have a higher threshold of pain. So my five is actually equivalent to most people's 10, right? And mm -hmm. so it's mm -hmm. like, and so that's fed into the system. And therefore, you, what the result is, is that Black patients weren't being given the care at the same rate, right? Mm -hmm. And again, you're like, well, how did that happen? Well, because there was historical data, the developers chose the, the parameters that fed into the AI historically bias one group versus another. That's so interesting. Um, you, you made really great points around that in your book, and I'll allow the listener or the reader to kind of explore some of those. 
But some things really stood out for me. And thank God that your, vo- your, your book, I listened to the Audible book, um, and Amanda Stenberg, she, she has the, like, just the sweetest voice, but what she was saying was terrifying. <laughs> So it was just really kind of like funny. It's like, oh my God, she's saying these terrifying things and it's like scary. But the one thing she talked about was, well, two things for me. One was the idea of how many surveillance cameras are in this, you know, worldwide, 770 million, and how through facial recognition, many of them are not necessarily program to recognize non-Caucasian faces. So what type of, what type of problem does that present? Um, one is mistaken identity. Um, as we know that this, this happened recently in, I believe, Detroit, where um, a facial recognition algorithm uh, basically misidentified um, a Black man. And basically it's like, oh, y'all all look alike, right? The facial algorithm did the mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. And and he was brought in. He was, um, you know, basically arrested. Um, that's what can happen. And and one of the things is that it's not just um, you know black men, black women. It's also biases with respect to Asian men and Asian women, with respect to um, anyone who has skin tone. So um, individuals from India. And, and so it really is systemic uh, because it it impacts pretty much everyone. Wow. And so what's really interesting is what your book does collectively with all of the different stories and the insight that you give us, it makes us more aware. Like one thing that we'll talk about, and you've got to read the book to get the rest of the good stuff, but the idea of Alexa. And Mm -hmm. when you talked about how basically it's based on um, language and accents. And if you don't have a particular accent, we find, we find ourselves changing how we speak so that Alexa recognizes our voice. I mean, I never thought of it like that. I mean, but think about it. Anytime you talk to Alexa, anytime you talk to Siri, think about it. You slow your words down. You try to have very precise and concise English, right? You even change the way you talk. Um, and, and so why is that we are changing? And one of the things that we know is that when you keep doing that, what happens? You start doing that in real life and, and language is culture. When, when you change your language, you're, you're also changing your culture. Um, and therefore the AI is, is now changing us. Right. And ultimately that makes us all like one homogenous group. We lose our individuality, our culture, and then the robots are kind of, um, I mean, I guess, is that the singularity that everybody talks about? I always hear that term in the science fiction movies that that is just the end of days when we've reached the singularity. I know. Well, yeah, this isn't the singularity, but I I would claim that the the biases and how we're changing um, is much more of an immediate threat. Right. And so it's interesting because there is an example of that in pop culture and entertainment um, that was in this movie called Little. I don't know if you saw that movie or not, but basically it was this movie where, you know, one, um, the main character 
her name was Regina Hall, and she was kind of like the boss lady in the movie. And mm-hmm. she used Alexa as her assistant, but Alexa had an urban accent and recognized her words as she spoke them. Is that an example of how the AI, the robot, is following us instead of we are adjusting to the robot? Exactly. You know, I say that a lot of these issues aren't hard. Um, they, they are hard just because we are so diverse. And, and so how do you create a, one product that can work for everyone is, is the problem. Um, and because you then choose which one person you choose for it to work with and everyone else is then adapted and changed to that. But it can be done. It can be personalized so that I can use, you know, my tone and my language when I'm around my community in one way versus my work voice, right? It, it should recognize me and, and be able to adapt and, and understand when I'm saying something, even if it's, I say a sentence or I say a word that like everybody in my community understands, but you know, Alexa may not right now. And so what impact does all of this have on gender and gender roles? Yeah. So with, with the voice assistance, what I worry is that, you know, I say, um, one, we, we usually call Alexa she or serious she, a lot of people do. Um, always on, always available at your beck and call, right? Um, and if you then think about um, Alexa as an assistant, which you do, that is always capable, what do you think that does to our human-human interactions with our physical human assistants, right? There, there is a transplant of this, this expectation um, and that's just human. That's us as human. That's us being retrained. Um, and if you have individuals, and you do have some who bark at their assistants, their their AI assistants, um, what do you think they're going to eventually do to their human assistants when it's not quite right? Uh, because you get retrained to do this when when you have an AI assistant that can't that can't yell back at you, right? It's it's always complying. It's always saying yes. It's always saying what do you want? What was interesting was just the idea of how we will eventually treat the robots like they would become an underclass and you know in itself from you know whether it's a sex doll or whether it's a self-driving car how we if we view it as something negative or an affront then we have a tendency to take our aggressions out on it because we feel like it's taking our jobs you know whatever it's it's somehow impacting our day-to-day lives in a negative way Right. And so what's the, what's interesting is, is people can say, well, it's just a machine. So why does it matter that, you know, you hit it or, or yell at it and things like that? But the fact is, is AI is this one thing because it's based on understanding humans and modeling us. The fact is, is that it triggers some of our basic instincts. Um, so it is different than just say, you know, a car that you call, you know, your favorite car, Betsy, and like, oh, Betsy, come on, come on, come on, come on. Mine was called Rod, by the way. And <laughs> and so what happens is then it does impact our human interactions and human relations, which is different than any other technology before. Um, and that's the problem. It's not that AI is, you know, has emotions, which it, it can. It's not that AI is a, you know, sentient being, but we as people sometimes feel like it is and therefore it becomes a lot more human but yet we don't like it because it is taking jobs and you know it kind of looks a little bit and feels a little bit too smart and and things like that 
So let me ask you this. So, so much of what we see right now in terms of, you know, STEM and diversity and tech is around making sure that there are more women or underrepresented minorities. So we are still, though, assuming that we're going to be programming with a certain value set. How do you shift that? Because it all goes back to the programmer. So is diversity the key to uh, impacting this issue? What do you see as being the approach to kind of level the playing field? Yeah, so I think it's two things. One is is diversity. Um, I, I can't expect if, if you don't have the lived experience of, you know, I'm, I'm a black female, um, if you don't have my lived experience, um, you're not maybe going to think about what it feels like to wear a dress, right? Like you, it's just mm-hmm. not, it's not going to come to your, your fat. And so when you're designing a system, you may think like, oh, dress, no pockets. Like, let me think about technology based on having someone with no pockets ever in their life. Um, and so you're just not going to have that lived experience. So that's one of the things about diversity is that when someone is in the room that has a different experience, they can say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about maybe adding multiple voices and not having the default voice be a female? Have you thought about, right, that, 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 that. The other thing is I think we need to allow people to have choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so this is a little bit um, difficult because a lot of people, if you give them too many choices, they get overwhelmed, right? So you have to limit it. But you still have to give them the choice to do something. As an example, uh, if you think about um, search, there are studies that have shown that most people t- click on the top five. It doesn't matter what it is. I do a search, and it's the top five. And if the top five don't quite match my what I my expectations, I will change my search term. I it very rarely will go to the next page. So maybe we 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 give people the choice to say, look, I want you to randomize. The, the top five. I want you to just randomize. I, I want you to surprise me to, so I can explore. I'm not biased about choosing the top five. What I want you to do is when I do a search term, I don't want you to tell me, you know, if this is page one or page five, right? Like I want you to show me page five every so often, maybe 10% of the time. So it challenges me to think outside the box, but we have no choices. These systems are given to us. The parameters are set and we use them. We don't have choices on how to change their use or how we interact with it. You're absolutely right. Because I mean, who do we even complain to? Like, (laughs) how do we, where do you start? I mean, first of all, you writing this book is a great start in terms of awareness. But if I had an issue, where do I even go to complain? So this is the thing. These issues have to be based on um, a number of people. So there has to be a, a number, a mass of individuals, which is really why I, I wanted to, to write this book so that it was accessible to a general audience. Um, as an example, if you remember the, the issue with um, the image labeling back in the day where um, there was a black couple and they were identified as gorillas. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So and, come on. Cameras haven't worked for, for Black folks for a long time, right? right. And so it's like, right, yeah, you right. just deal with it. But because there was such an uproar, they changed it, right? It, they didn't have to, but it was an uproar of the community, basically, like saying, hey, look at this, look at this. Hey, I've had this experience. Uh, but if people think it's just them, right, then they're not going to complain. But if it's like, if everyone knows that 
everyone is dealing with this, then you have community advocacy and then things change. And we've seen this time and time again, how the big tech companies have changed things because the community has said, oh, this needs to be changed. This is wrong. This has too much bias. Got it. So in terms of the future, I mean, we don't want this to be contingent upon one group of people. So how do we basically build an AI system that incorporates everyone and not just the data, but our emotions? You know what I mean? That was a big part of the facial recognition issue in terms of mm-hmm. how do we, it, it's just like, where do you start first in kind of tackling this developing yeah. issue? I mean, it, it just seems, it seems, first of all, it's like, I'm happy to be aware of it. And so now I want to be present to it. Um, and then also I want to be aware of how I'm being watch, so to speak, and data is being gathered based on my behavior. Like that is wild to me. It is like, oh, wow, I didn't realize this. Um, Yeah, you're being tracked every second of the day. Did you not know this? Um, And and so I think it's a a huge problem. Uh, But I think in in the book, I, I try to give, you know, like little steps to start addressing this that we personally can do, like every single person can do to to address this. Um, One is we start looking at the ones that really do impact our our civil liberties. A facial recognition is is a good example. Um, You know, there's a moratorium right now on, you know, the big tech companies selling um, recognition software to uh, agencies like police and and government um, until they can figure out how to remove some of the biases. Um, I would say the same thing needs to be involved with respect to um, if I have a healthcare system, let's, let's address that. Let's try to figure this out. Um, as we know, um, you know, with, with COVID, uh, it has impacted uh, underrepresented communities, Black and Hispanic, uh, at a higher rate. Um, unfortunately, data is being collected. Unfortunately, that data is going to be used to train some AI systems that are going to do diagnosis. Um, I worry about what those systems will look like. And so now's the time to say, hey, we have this we have this movement. Let's talk about these AI systems that are out there so that we can fix them and do right so that they are better for everyone. And so would you say that people are receiving that well? Because it's like, um, that I'm sure I know that people are talking about this, but this is the first time that I've read a book where it was so clear in terms of connecting all of the dots. Um, has it been difficult to um, kind of bring attention to this cause um, and, and just what you are noticing across the board? Yeah, so I think this whole aspect of, you know, AI and bias, um, people are aware of it. I, I don't think people ha- are aware of the level that it has gotten to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one thing. The other thing is, is that I, I think that a lot of times we're like, yeah, but what am I supposed to do? Um, and, and so what I really wanted to try to do was say that everyone 
can do something about this, right? It's not just, oh, well, I'm not a computer science. I'm not an AI developer. So I can't do anything. I don't work for, you know, Amazon or Google. I can't do anything. It's like, no, no, no. Everyone can do something. If you are human, then you can do something. Um, and I, I really wanted to do that because um, it's moving at an accelerated pace. Uh, it's it's being integrated into even I talked about some of the systems, but it's being integrated at an accelerated pace that is uncanny. Um, and so we do need to be conscious of this, but it also takes a little bit of inner reflection of understanding our own biases mm-hmm. and trying to fix ourselves while we're doing it. And so one of the last questions I usually ask people when I talk about um, at the end of the podcast, I always say, you know, what are three things that um, you do in 24 hours to kind of move your story forward or to be um, more successful? Um, But I'm going to ask you, what are three things that you do and that we could do to be more aware of bias and how it impacts us and what we can kind of learn or expose ourselves to in a day? So one is anytime you use a system, ask the question, do I think there's AI in this or not? Right. So that's one. Um, What happens is it starts to bring awareness of how often you are impacted. And it doesn't matter your race or gender, you are impacted, but you have to be aware. So that's one thing. It's like, you wake up, you cut off your alarm on your smartphone. Ah, guess what? AI. So just think about that. Be conscious of that. Uh, two is start advocating for people outside of your group, right? So if you are um, married, start advocating for those who are single. If you are Black, start advocating for someone who is um, Hispanic. If you are male, start advocating for a female. And, and just just it doesn't matter which group, just choose someone who is, is not in your in group, who not your same characteristic as you, uh, that's two, um, which, which will help in terms of the data collection and the AI recognizing bias. Um, and three is um, be okay with advocating to companies and, and collecting information from others. Um, just because we may not share uh, common beliefs in one thing, there are certain things that we can all believe in. We all believe in, you know, freedoms. We all believe in education and things like that. So find a cause that you believe in and change AI and, and advocate for it in that domain, in that area, uh, whatever it is. And so what that means is that if everyone takes a stand in what they feel comfortable, it, we can change the world. Absolutely. And you certainly have in terms of the work that you've been doing over the years as a roboticist. And I was really just so impressed about when you talked about from an early age, kind of learning how to manage your emotions and recognizing bias early and separating it into categories so that it didn't get in the way of your work and your purpose. So based on that, can you tell us what is your definition of a boss and how does a boss move through the world that is sometimes biased? Yeah, so I think a, a boss is someone who leads by example through, through her life and through what she represents. But a boss is someone who also empowers others 
to be leaders themselves. And there it is, <laughs> Dr. Ayanna Howard. Oh my God, your book is so good. I, I just want everybody to read it. Um, uh, you do get a special offer if you read it on Audible. You can get that right here in the show notes on the show. It's called Sex, Race, and Robots. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that was eye-opening, wasn't it? I really like the way Dr. Howard gave us actionable steps that we can take to advocate for each other when we discover ways in which AI is being misused. And also, how we can make the algorithms work more in our favor because sometimes we may recognize a problem, but we have no clue how to fix it. So, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I sure did. And if you're new to Built by a Boss, like this episode, and found it valuable, please take a moment to leave a five-star review and a comment. It really helps other people find us. You can join our Built by a Boss Patreon community and help us create more content and courses designed to help beginning entrepreneurs on their journey. And you can also follow us at Built by a Boss on Instagram and Facebook. As always, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, be kind, be brave, be better, be a boss.